Thank you for listening to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast from Asheville, North Carolina. For more information on Trinity Baptist Church, please visit tbcashville.org. Or to learn more about our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton, please visit ralphsextonministries.com. The speaker for today is our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton. Well, since you're in a good mood, let's talk about being a good Christian. We'll go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 for our Bible study tonight. And we've covered a lot of ground, got a lot done, and I appreciate all of you working with me. I appreciate all of our Sunday school teachers, our choir members, those that volunteer to help in all of our many ministries. We've got a lot of our church family out sick today. We've even got some of our church family in New Orleans for the ball game tomorrow night national championship they're already there and so I've been asked several times today who's going to win the Tigers Tigers are going to win so that's there's no argument there because it's the LSU Tigers playing the Clemson Tigers so the Tigers will win tonight so what about that so so you got all that covered right so we're going to be happy tonight and first Corinthians chapter number six let's begin reading Uh, around verse number uh, 10, I guess it is. I wanted to go. Yeah. Uh, It's talking about who is going to get to go to heaven, and he's talking about, well, back up to verse 9 so you'll understand it. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Shall not inherit. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Now remember, he's dealing with the church. He's dealing with the church, okay? But ye are washed but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Now, what did we establish in the morning service? How am I sanctified? By the what? By the Word. Exactly right. So uh, that's why the devil tries to rob you from reading your Bible. He tries to rob you from studying, being in a preaching service, a small group, a Sunday school class, because... He wants to keep you away from the sanctifying power of the Word of God. I cannot change my life. I cannot uh, mold me and shape me into the image of God. My flesh will um, automatically go back to the world if it wasn't for the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit of God. All right? Let's go to verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Now, that's a strange statement, isn't it? All things are lawful. Well, what he's talking about is the grace of God. They're lawful under the grace of God. You could, but they're not expedient. They're not good for me. And so that's where we get our fellowship of convictions. Personal convictions, that comes out of this verse. Because every one of us are wired differently. And God will deal with you differently about strengths and weaknesses in your life. Not everyone has the same struggles or the same battles. And so he's dealing with this. All things are lawful unto me, verse 12. 
but I will not be brought under the power of any. I'm not going to let anything come under, uh, to rule over me. Talking about my body, my flesh. All right, verse 13. Meats for the belly, okay? And the belly for meats. God said, I designed your body to be a carnivorous, that you would be a consumer of high-protein, efficient meat, okay? So that's what he said. Meat is for the belly, and the belly is for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. What did we determine in, in uh, Exodus 13 this morning? He said, I want you to have a day to remember when the blood was applied. Remember that verse? And he said, you were led out of the house of bondage. Remember that verse? And he said, and I set you free. And he said, and all your firstborn uh, children, all the firstborn male and beast, he said, they are mine. God said, I own them. I spared them in chapter 12. I bought them. I paid for them. And when Jesus went to the cross and he died for you, guess what? He paid for me and you. He bought us off the slave block of sin. So now we are in his care. And so he's saying that this is the body that he gave us, and so we should uh, use it for his glory. Verse 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. And that's talking about the resurrection, okay? Now, we know there are two resurrections, right? Uh, the first resurrection was going to be when the church, the body of Christ, the born again, the saved, they'll be resurrected at the coming of Christ. Now, the second resurrection will be at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that'll be the general resurrection. Everybody will be resurrected to give an account, whether it be good or bad. You go meet a holy God, okay? So that's what he's talking about. This, those of us in the Lord, he said, we're going to be raised like him. Now, verse 15, now it's getting serious. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. He's saying we have to be careful what we partake of because our body is not our own. He's going back to what we just read in the Old Testament this morning. And then uh, if you go down to verse 18, flee fornication, every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Verse 19, know you not that your body is the what? Temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. Now, we had determined that this morning, Exodus 12. We went to uh, uh, Exodus 13. We went to Psalms 19. And we went to Proverbs 29. All those scriptures. We ended up in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant under the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what we come into, verse 20. But ye are bought with a price. 
Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are what? Which are God's. So now we've tied together Exodus 13. Some of you are having a hard time assimilating that. So uh, let's, let's look back and go to Exodus 13. I want to read it to you one more time. These first three verses. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. This is Exodus chapter 13, verse number 2 I'm into now. Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. Whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast. Here it comes. Next three words. It is mine. God said, I spared your life, it belongs to me. I spared your babies, it belongs to me. I spared your cattle, your sheep, your lambs, everything. they belong to me. So it's talking about everything I have, materially, physically, it's a gift from God. If I get to go to work tomorrow, it's because God let me wake up and I can breathe and my blood's circulating, my heart's beating. He gives me the ability to think. And so all of those things that I use every day, they're gifts from God. It is mine. And Moses said unto the people, verse 3, Remember this day, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord hath brought you out from what? This place. He delivered you from it. Go back to verse 2, last three words, it is mine. Both of man and beast, it belongs to me. Now, we go back over here to where we were just reading in 1 Corinthians, verse number 20. For ye were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's the same thing. Old Testament, it is mine. New Testament, your body and your spirit. You, now we have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. It's of God. So he gives us that. So what's the summation of all this? What's the importance of all this? It's that the, my best for the Lord. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I know you're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. I'm talking about you and me. And the Lord says, I know you. I know who you are. I know what you uh, are uh, capable of. And he said, but you do your best for me, and I will honor you. And the more you do your best for me, I will strengthen you. That How? Because of sanctification. I'm going to be set aside more. Remember that uh, verse, the Ecclesia, uh, Matthew uh, 16, we talked about this morning. It means the assembly that is called out, right? Or it means the group that is separated from. And so I'm separated from this world by salvation. I'm now a part of the family and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He purchased me, he bought me, and he says, now, Ralph, I want you to live for me. And sometimes we do the best we can and we mess up. Sometimes we doubt, sometimes we worry, sometimes we get aggravated. I know nobody in this church does, but I've been in churches where they lose their temper. I've, I've been in churches like that. People actually get mad at their husband. I know not in our church, but I've been in churches where it has happened. I can see the scars. And so, uh, but, but what he's saying is, I know human nature. I know human nature. So 
we, we are not perfect, but he's saying the more that I strive, the more that I, I desire to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, he's saying I'm going to help you. I'll help you and you'll grow in strength. My best for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know, uh, some of you recently went to Niagara Falls. And if you go to Niagara Falls and get up above the falls and you were to rent a boat uh, at one of the upper landings and say you're three or four miles from the falls up on the Niagara River, when you start coming, approaching the river, uh, on the river to the falls, you're about a mile away. They'll start being warnings about the falls. And then you'll come to a cable across the Niagara River, and it will have a sign on it. Uh, I think it's about at a mile or three-quarters of a mile, and it'll have a sign on it. it. used to be on there, and it'll say this phrase. Do you have an anchor? Question mark. Do you know how to use it? Question mark. You can have an anchor on your boat, but if you don't know how to use it, you're going over the falls. And so you say, well, I, I can row out of this current. <laughs> I, I, uh, my my uh, uh, 15 horsepower engine can get me out of this current. No. The closer it gets to the falls, the more powerful it becomes, the stronger it becomes, the river becomes smaller, and the raging torrent increases. And so the warning sign on the river is, Number one, do you have an anchor? Number two, do you know how to use that anchor? And I get out of here. I love coming to church. I love being with you. I love being with our friends here at the house of the Lord. I can't wait to see you on Sunday. I can't wait to be here on Wednesday and the activities through the week. But when I get out in the world, I'm caught up in the current of the world. I am picked up with the things of the world. I don't know if you've noticed it lately, but you can't hardly go to the grocery store without hearing profanity. Have you noticed that? And some of you have to work on a public job where there is a mixture of all kinds of ungodly talk and profanity. And you feel like when you get home at the end of the day, you can just take a putty knife and just scrape the world off of you because of what you've had to endure during the day. And if you're not careful, you'll get caught up in the current of that. It's there. The world is, uh, is uh, all around us. We're, the Bible teaches clearly we're in it, but we're not of it. But you know what God says? You abide in me, I'll abide in you, and when you're in this world, I will protect you, I'll help you, and I'll keep you. That is my anchor. Do I know how to use my anchor? Well, how do I use my anchor? He's the rock of my salvation. So how do I use that? I use that in prayer, and I use that in my reading and studying the Word of God. That's the only way I can use that anchor uh, because I cannot force it. I cannot manufacture it. And so do you have an anchor, and do you know how to use it? Now, what we're studying in 1 Corinthians is, is bad versus best. It's sort of a no-man's land. What God's trying to get us away from is what the sheep do in the Holy Land. 
For those of you that have been, let me refresh your memory. All along those hills, you go on the Jericho Road down from the backside of the Roman Road down to, to Jericho. Every one of those hills are covered in little trails. They're about four to six inches wide. And for hundreds of years, sheep have walked those little narrow trails around those hills. If we go all the way down into Jericho, we're down in Jericho, and we go past the Bedouin village where we've been helping all those children, if we pass them, you go into that big turn and then you start up, and then here opens up a, a, a crevice into the earth. It's, it's like a small Grand Canyon, but it's, it's a valley. And it, it's, uh, in Hebrew, it's a wadi, a wadi. And that wadi goes from Jericho all the way up to Jerusalem. It's right near the backside of the Mount of Olives. That's why when the Mount of Olives cleaves open and the river comes out of it, the water's got a natural channel to come right down to the Dead Sea. It'll come right off there. Well, all along the sides of that, some sides of it are 1,200 feet high, some 1,600, probably maybe some of them up around 1,800 or 2,000 feet. It's so sharp down in there. And that valley has a name. Uh, because if, if where Ben's sitting, if that used to be, if that were to be one side of the valley, where I'm standing is another side, it's so sharp that if you're traveling in the bottom of this valley, it's very narrow. And some places it's as narrow in that valley as these two chairs are, uh, the chairs and the platform are apart. I mean, it's very small, but yet it's very tall. And if the sun is not right overhead, there are deep, dark shadows on each side full of caves, cutbacks, and boulders, and rocks, bushes. And this is where the predators live. This is where the bad guy lives. This is where the lions live, the wolves live. And yet if you've got sheep up here at Jerusalem, and you're taking them to the oasis where the water and the grass is at Jericho, the way that you go through here is you've got to walk down this valley. And that valley for... for Millennium has been known as the valley of the shadow of death. Because if the sun's not right overhead, there's shadows on each side, and a predator could be on either side and go after the lamb or the sheep that's walking right through here. Little narrow trail, four, six inches wide, all along the hillside, all up on the high side, up on the low side, and the shepherd and the sheep down in the valley. And what the shepherd does, the job of the shepherd, is that if the sheep begins to look off and begins to wander and their mind wanders and they're walking and what they're doing, you see how my foot's on the edge? Part of my foot's off the platform. And, and you can walk right on the edge of that and the shepherd will take his staff and he'll reach around and bump them on the leg and get them back up. If they're way up in front of him and he can't reach them, he'll put a small rock into his sling and he'll pop it at their feet to make them jump back up because he doesn't want them to fall off. And what God's doing in 1 Corinthians, he's trying to talk to us sheep. And what is he doing? He's saying... Don't spend your life, your Christian life, 
trying to see how close to the world you can get. Don't try to, don't, what's your goal? Why are you trying to get so close? Can I do this and still go to heaven? Can I do this and still be saved? Can I do this and still go to heaven? He said, we need to change our attitude and we need to change our vocabulary. Where's the shepherd? How do I get close to him? That's what he's encouraging us to do, is that we don't try to see how much we can be like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, but how close can we be to the Lord Jesus Christ? So that's what he's doing. It's bad versus best, and I don't want to live in the no, man, no man's land. And just because you could do something, it doesn't necessarily mean you should do something. That's what he's dealing with, that we should draw closer to him. Now, if you pray about something and you find out it's wrong, will you be obedient to the sweet Holy Spirit and do right? You say, well, how do I know that? Well, one way that you can always do that, sometimes preachers will call and they'll talk about ministries and things they're wanting to do. And I said, the first benchmark in my personal life, the first benchmark in my family, and the first benchmark in ministry is, does it agree with the Bible? That's your, that's your benchmark. Is it a biblical, biblical thing? In other words, does it agree with the Bible? And that's where I'm talking about. You don't try to see how close to the world we can get, but how close we can get to the Lord. And we do that by pointing men to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? The third thing that you have to do in your Christian walk in life is then you have to pray about it. If I pray about it, the Lord will guide me and he'll deal with me. And so uh, that's that committal of prayer. Do you remember when uh, the apostle Peter sinned and he uh, backslid and he warmed by the devil's fire? Do you remember that? Okay, before that happened, go all the way back in the New Testament to Caesarea Philippi. Jesus is teaching the disciples. Remember that? He brought them up on the front porch of the temple of Pan. And there's where he made the great statement that the gates of hell that day, that's the temple of Pan, the most wicked place on earth 2,000 years ago. And he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against thee. And then you remember in his conversation with the apostle Peter, he said, Satan hath desired thee. That he wants to sift you like wheat. He wants, he's desired you. Well, could I assure everyone in here today that the devil desires you and he desires me. He desires all of us. And if he could, he would get me off the right track. He'd get you off the right track. And we'd get off and we would be injured or we'd be hurt or we would, uh-oh, cause somebody to stumble with us. Yeah, that's always a danger. So that, that's what he's warning about. So uh, it can be expedient, and that word expedient you could translate is this best for you, the best for you. So when I find out if it might not be the best for me, will I prayerfully ask God to help me do what's right, number one. Number two, does it agree with the Bible? Number three, have I prayed about it? And then number four, do you have the leading of the Holy Spirit? Now, we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit as Baptists because we get nervous because we think someone is going to think we're Pentecostal. But maybe we ought to talk a little more about the Holy Spirit. 
because the Holy Spirit abides in me and he abides in you. And there is a spirit-led, spirit-filled life. It's available for the believer. It's a tender spirit. I was preaching uh, down in Lenore, North Carolina earlier last week, and I mentioned this fact that if you're a parent or a grandparent, you have taken a child before, a little guy, 18 months, 24 months, 30 months, 36 months old, and you can cause that child to warp up, get sad, maybe even cry, and all you have to do is change the tone of your voice. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Mommy's not happy with you. You've disappointed Daddy. That lip will run out. And if you keep pushing, it'll break out in tears. You know why? They're very tender. They're innocent, number one. Number two, they're tender. And number three, they want your favor. And more tender than that baby is the sweet Holy Ghost in this service tonight. More tender than that baby. And he wants your fellowship. He wants your favor. And, and the easiest spirit to offend in any service at any time is the sweet Holy Spirit of God that we would know and we would understand what God's doing in our lives. And so that's, that's the, the fourth element. Number five is then you get to this point of does it please God? Will it bring glory and honor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? When God's searching our hearts, when he's dealing with us, when we're growing and developing and these are all growth things I've talked about this morning. We talked about 1 Thessalonians, the model church. Now we're talking about the model believer. We talked about Old Testament, God claiming you, the believer. New Testament, we're reading it here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and verse number 20. He said that we are God's. So we see this. It's not new, Old Testament, New Testament. It's all there together. He's wanting us to be what we can be in him. And then uh, sometimes, parents, you're going to deal with your children. You're gonna, there's a lot of pressure. Well, I'm going to come back to this later on this family series. I have never in the years of ministry that God's graced me and allowed me to be a part of decades uh, because some of the people that are teaching down there in that Awana ministry were in my youth group in the other building in 1976 when we did the bicentennial play and the activities. So this isn't new, but I can tell you with all sincerity and a broken heart, there's more pressure on your child, on your son, your daughter, your grandchild than any generation to this hour. I'm going to tell you that. There, you think about if you had to stand up to the temptation of today. If you were 16 years old, if you were 14 years old, and you had to stand up to the way the devil's packaging sin for this generation, it'll change your prayer life. It'll let you know we need to love. And, and what about our singles? What about them? How they need encouragement. They need strength. huh? What about our married couples? They need encouragement. They need strength. Well, what about our retired? They need encouragement. They need strength. You know what you find out? 
If you're living, breathing, and old enough to understand, you need encouragement. And if you're still alive and got your mind and you're 99, you still need encouragement and everything in between. And that's what God's talking about. He's talking about us being that kind of believer. Can we walk this walk in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? What we're building to, and if we had time, we'd go on into the end of this chapter. But uh, what it's building to is that you will have a master in your life. You'll be in control of your life, your body, or something will master you, will control you. There's only one control switch inside of me. There's only one control switch inside of you. And either God will have his hand on that control switch and he'll control me or the world will reach in and it will control me. You'll either, you'll be in charge and, and could I tell you that one of the things that's mastering our teenagers and our young adults is obviously the digital age that we're in. I mean, it is so addictive. I, I was out of town this week I went into a restaurant, and I think there were four tables around me, and at all four tables, everybody was there. And the waitress, can I get you, uh, give me some tea, please. Uh, cheeseburger with fries. Not even the eye contact. Not even eye contact. I went to a drive through window on the road this week, and they never looked at me. I hand my money and they're going, oh, there's the money. Never looked out the window. Why? Talking to her boyfriend. It's a blessing. We started iPods, our podcast this week. We started YouTube channel this week. We're trying to use every means possible to reach all those that are surfing, but I'm going to tell you, it can master you. Amen. It can control your life. It can control your family. You know, and I read an article the other day that some families are desperately trying to get control back, at least for the meal, that they've got a little basket that they're all checking their phones in in one room and going into the next room and eating their meal. And the kids are jerking and twitching and having withdrawal. I think I heard it rain. <laughs> I believe it's vibrating. <laughs> but, but what God's dealing with us about is uh, every generation's got a different test. Every generation's got a, a different something that bothers us. It's good versus best. And it, it's, it's about the fact that God wants you to know that you can be forgiven, you can be clean, and you can be pure. And it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, and what you got into, you can start over today through and by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can say, God, by your help, I do want to make a difference with my life. I do want to do better. And, you know, we're known in January for our vows or our resolutions uh, that we'll make a New Year commitment well, it's a good time to do an inventory. It is a, a, it's a very logical place to say, you know what, I didn't do so good in this part of my life last year, but I do want to do better, you know? And, and we should get to that point 
that only Jesus should be our master. That's where we're headed. That only Jesus would be in charge of my life. That he would be our master. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. We're going to come back to that mysteries of God. There's six or seven of those things we want to cover. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And I can remember as a little boy growing up in a pastor's home. I can remember as a teenager growing up in a pastor's home. I remember at college age growing up in a pastor's home that there would be people come to my dad with problems and circumstances and their marriage was in trouble and there was a financial burden and it was about to break up a home or someone had been unfaithful or, or their child was out in the world or one of their grandchildren was breaking their heart and they said, I don't know what to do. And I can hear my dad saying this, well, when you don't know what to do, you can always be faithful. Just be faithful. And I found out when I became a minister of the gospel that I could add a little something to that. Not only can I be faithful, but when the Holy Spirit of God convicts them and they get right with God and they come home, you be right where they left you. You didn't leave them. You're still serving God. You're still going to church. And I told you a few weeks ago we had a visitor from up north in our church and hadn't been home in over 10 or 12 years. I can't remember the number of years they hadn't been here. And I'm shaking hands at the back door, tears on the cheek. said, I just need to tell you something. You need to know it's not like this all across the country. You need to know that churches don't have that kind of spirit and that kind of feeling. And said, the greatest encouragement that God gave me today is when I haven't been in this building in over 10 years, that when I came home today, it's just like the day I left. They still read the Bible. They're still singing the hymns out of the hymn book. They still love the Lord. They still like preaching. And she says, I feel like I hadn't missed one service. I'm back home where I need to be. Isn't that great? And how do we do that? By being faithful. By being faithful. And sometimes God will let you learn to love and appreciate what he's given you. Amen? Let's bow our heads. I hope you've enjoyed this. If not, I want you to come up here and I want you to get encouraged. I'm going to give you a gummy worm or a fish bait. Don't steal my little lambs. But you can come up here and have a gummy worm of encouragement. The blessings of the Lord. God wants us happy. Listen, as we grow in grace, as we care about each other, do you understand that not everyone has a beautiful family like you may have? Do you understand that not everyone may have a husband or a wife that loves them or a child that loves them? And that's why the extended family of a church is so important. I talked to a couple of our widow ladies earlier in the week, and they were talking about the uncertainty of the future as they get older. And I said, well, here's the comfort you have, is that your church will love you. If you ever get to the point, you can't get out of your house and go buy groceries, why, we'll be buying your groceries and we'll bring them to you. If you ever get to the point you can't get to the doctor, 
Somebody in this church will love on you and take you to the doctor. And if you ever get to the point where you're getting ready to go to heaven, somebody in this church will be there to hold your hand. You say, well, how can they do that? They don't know me. Oh, they'll find you. Because at that time, God will make it obvious to somebody that you need help. Isn't that wonderful? God gives us the Lord, and he gives us each other. And if you're in a need, needy, needy place tonight, maybe you're sad, maybe you're brokenhearted, then you make sure somebody knows about your need tonight. Come to this altar. Miss Pam's here with all of our ladies. She'll be here in the altar tonight. All our pastors are here. People need the Lord at the end of broken dreams. He's the open door. Just keep coming. People need. You need prayer help. You hold up your hand. Pam or one of the pastors will come to you. People need the Lord. When will we realize people need the Lord. Thank you for being with us today. I pray that today God spoke to your heart. You know, it's one thing to hear Ralph talk. It's one thing to hear a choir sing. It's one thing to hear a group bring a special song presentation. But it's altogether different when you're sitting there in that hotel room, in your house, maybe listening on your phone while you're at work, and God speaks to your heart. That's not me. That's not a Baptist, a Methodist, or a Presbyterian church. That's God, that's personal, that's you. And the Bible teaches quite clearly that when God touches your heart, when he speaks to you, that you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Bible teaches that all of us have to have him. You say, well, Brother Ralph, your dad was a preacher. My dad being a preacher couldn't help me. Well, you say your mama taught Sunday school and she prayed, that couldn't help me. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, not me, not the Baptist, the Bible says that there's none righteous, though not one. Today is the day of salvation. You can begin anew. It can start over. The past can be covered by the blood. You can get out of living in your rearview mirror, the guilt, the problems. God can forgive you and you can start over today. You say, Brother Ralph, how is that possible? Well, a simple prayer is that very beginning. God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. And I promise you, God, from this day forward, I'll serve you with the rest of my life. You can begin again in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you call us, you write to us. We'll send you a copy of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to get into a local church, a church in your community, that you can have a fellowship of faith that will help you grow and teach you about the Word of God. Today's the day of salvation. 
This is the first day of the rest of your life. Let's serve the Lord together and let's meet each other in heaven. I'll be praying for you and I ask you to pray for me.